Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith and this is quarter number one of our show. Dustin, it's Monday morning as we record this. Just having a nice, relaxing weekend. Not much going on. And then Sunday night, all hell broke loose. Yeah, how, how about that? That, w- that was not something I expected. The announcement uh, that Taylor Stubblefield will not be back. He's been relieved of his duties as Penn State's wide receivers coach. And we can get into the logistics of how this came out, but... You know, Stubblefield looked like he tried to get out in front of this thing and say he was not coming back. And then the statement was made by Penn State that he was relieved of his duties. So I'm not sure what all is there exactly, whether this was, you know, maybe like a Kirk Shiraka kind of thing where Franklin had somebody in mind. I know that's something that, that you think might be part of the equation here, but uh, maybe Penn State's due for an upgrade, but either way, it doesn't seem like Taylor Stubblefield was was down with the decision, as as one could expect when he's on the receiving end of it. Exactly, and it was interesting the contrast in announcements. I the first thing notice I got was the announcement by the university that they put out. And it was, uh, here's James Franklin's statement. Essentially, he was relieved of his duty, duties. And when something comes up that quickly, my first thought is, uh-oh, what did he do? You know, that there's going to be some news coming out. And then you see uh, Taylor Stubblefield's announcement, which essentially was, look at me, look how well I did. He, for those of you who haven't seen his announcement, he talked about all the great things that happened at wide receiver, and he was a part of it. So you get the feeling this wasn't about something else off the field, some incident. It was just a case where James Franklin thought he could do better, and now the rest of us were left with conjecture. Uh, Dustin, conject yeah. away. It it does seem to suggest to me that the meeting between James Franklin and Taylor Stubblefield was we're not getting everything we want out of the wide receivers and we're going to look for we're going to go in a different direction because why else would Taylor Stubblefield list out his resume line by line in, in a statement? You know, and I, and I do think that's kind of getting out in front. I, and I, I personally, you know, it, it's surprising to me because I do feel like he all in all had done a pretty nice job there. Um, and so you can wonder, I think at this point, is, is it fair to say that Penn State can do better? Is it fair to say that there is more meat on that bone at wide receiver? Uh, I, not to sound like Andy Shea on that one, but um, <laughs> and I, I guess I guess that there probably was. I mean, you and I will never know the nuances behind the scenes and all that, but it does seem to kind of come down to uh, we think we can do better at this position. We think we can find a better fit in Mike Yersich's offense, we think think we can find somebody uh, who, who can develop guys at a higher level. Um, but man, it, it is, it is surprising because I gave a lot of credit um, to Taylor Stubblefield, not just for development with guys like Jahan Dotson and, you know, early in his career, Parker Washington, but also, you know, developing depth at that position, you know, that position was in a really tough spot before Taylor Stubblefield came along. 
uh, that there, there was a bit of a revolving door there and, and, and all that. So now there's a whole bunch of bodies at wide receiver, pretty good ones too. And, uh, and they're making a move like, like this. It, it does, it, it still is a, a surprise to me, but, uh, I think maybe if, or when, uh, the announcement comes out who his replacement is, maybe it'll make more sense then. I think it's fascinating that you used, uh, you mentioned Kirk Sharaka because I think that's the best example here. You bring in a coach, you're, you bring in an employee, okay, to make this more general. And those of us who, are, who have been out in the corporate world, we have seen people come and go that you, you thought was a, were a home run hire, but who knows what the issue is internally. But if you look at performance sake, I believe when Kirk Sharaka came in to town, everybody was excited, thought it was a great hire, saw what he did at Minnesota and said, oh boy, this is great. And then the performance wasn't exactly what James Franklin had in mind. You get the same feeling, or I get the same feeling here with Stubblefield. I don't, I think he took on a group that was, uh, its biggest feature was it would they had the drops, okay? They they drop passes. Well, that seemed to go away, but that seems to be a pretty low bar to set. Where I feel Dustin, like James Franklin, has set a very high bar in his recruiting, who he brings in in the transfer portal, and the same way with the coaching staff. I believe he's done an incredible job in hiring coaching staff it may not work out like we saw with Sharaka but at the time we all thought great hire this thing with Yursich we thought was great Troutwine coming in Manny Diaz coming in Poindexter coming in Juan Sider at running back a lot of great hires and maybe this was an okay hire but not a great one and James Franklin wants he wants elite I think I think both things are true with, with Taylor Stubblefield, that he was a pretty good hire at a pretty good time for the program uh, and kind of ironic that the guy who had spent a year at like 10 different places before coming to Penn State was the guy who brought stability. I think that group is is on more stable ground now than it was three years ago. But I, I, you know, I kind of admire James Franklin because on one hand, he's a really loyal guy. Uh, and you hear that often from from coaches uh, who have worked for him and with him. And on the other hand, you know, I think he is is doing what he believes needs to be done for Penn State to take the next step and become a championship type football team. And if if it's his vision that Taylor Stubblefield is not the guy who can get wide receivers on board with that next step, then he's making the move to do that. Whether it comes across as surprising, whether it's you know. Um, uh, early, you know, like I, I think he, he's doing what he thinks it takes for Penn State to take the next step. And, you know, you need the head coach to do that. You need the head coach sometimes to say, I, you know, I, I want to be friends with everybody, but I can't, you know, I, I think this is the right move and, and I'm making it. And I think that's, I think that's the situation here is that he, he thinks that it's time for an upgrade and he thinks he can find one out there. And the guess might be, he already has someone in mind. You know, to make a move like this where it's not mandatory that 
the coach. He did something that warranted firing, but it's I simply want an upgrade. And is another part of this that they are now at the point where James Franklin talks about being in line with the athletic director, the university president, where one of the things he wants is the funding to bring in coaches and retain them. It's why you see some of those crazy extra titles that these coaches are getting. I I think uh, did didn't Juwan Sider just get a new title like assistant to the associate to the head coach or something? Which is the interpretation of that is just it's an excuse to hand him more to give him a raise. Yeah, and and I I love that when it comes to um, getting into different pay categories, they they start to fall in line now with all the university ease out there, the uh, all all the jargon that that you see out there, assistants and associates. I mean, whatever it takes to get somebody to another level of of pay grade, and um, yeah, Fra- Franklin has done that. But I, I think about you know the wh- wh- when when James Franklin started to have the belief that. He, he wanted to make this move and ha- who knows how long ago that was. Maybe it was middle of the season. Maybe he thought that way before the season began uh, and had to ride this out. But when he has that belief, I think he really starts thinking about that list he has, you know, he's always updating and maintaining this list of potential coaches for down the road. Um, I, I think he started thinking about that list prior to this. And, you know, in that sense, yeah, probably, probably does. Maybe he even had a conversation or two along the way, uh, but, but started laying the groundwork for how to make the move, when to make the move and who the next, who the next person might be. So it might be pretty fast when the next wide receivers coach is announced because he thought about this beforehand. I would not be surprised if that conversation has already taken place. Like you mentioned, Plus, uh, Dustin, I'm waiting for these coaches. Have you seen, you know, there's companies now, uh, and maybe I'm just getting too old, and this is the way young people now do it. You're not a salesman anymore. You're a success coordinator or something to that effect. So uh, I'm waiting for that to happen in college football. One other interesting aspect to all of this, Dustin, and we'll talk more about the rest of the news, and there was plenty of it in the last week or so with the team, But it seemed like just as Taylor Stubblefield was relieved of his duty, all of a sudden you get a transfer portal wide receiver coming in. And it also adds to this whole thing of, is it possible they were not happy until this point with, in the past year, there was no development of that third wide receiver. The recruiting at wide receiver has not been what you would call elite. And now it's obvious they've wanted transfer portal wide receivers for a long time and haven't been successful at it. Is that part of, I'm not saying Cephas committed because Stubblefield was let go, but it does seem to be kind of crazy timing. It doesn't seem to be coincidental either. Whatever the relationship is here, whether Cephas was like, I'm only coming to Penn state. If you get rid of Taylor Stubblefield, I don't think it's that, but um, clearly this was communicated in the process with him. And he was in the loop about what was going to happen. And maybe was even in the loop about who the next person could, uh, or is going to be, but he's not just a transfer portal receiver. He's like the transfer portal receiver. He's somebody that everybody wanted. 
who could come in and be a reliable veteran. And in Penn State's case, maybe even their number one wide receiver. So for him to come on board, whatever it was, 45 minutes or so after the announcement was made about Taylor Stubblefield, he was clearly, he and his family were clearly in the loop about what was going to happen and were on board with what was going to happen and uh, and probably indicates that there's, there's a sound strategy in place to find the next wide receivers coach. Otherwise, I don't think Dante Cephas commits with that being an empty chair for, for weeks. So I think we could see something happen fast. And I think uh, however it had to happen, Dante Cephas is the wide receiver that they wanted and the wide receiver who can provide immediate help to whoever the next, that next position coach is. And we'll talk about this when we hit quarter number two, Dustin, but Cephas did not have a gun to his head to make a decision right away. So we'll talk about that when we uh, roll over to quarter number two. Stick around. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith, and it's quarter number two of our show brought to you by 409tailgateclub.com. We've talked about them for a while, the rubs, the sauces, the Bloody Mary mix, and now come the coffee barbecue rubs, three different versions of it, all of them tremendous. Trust me from a guy who knows, because I've tried them all, they're fantastic, Dusty. So if you're interested in their coffee barbecue rubs, just go to 409tailgateclub.com. And you can see the coffee rubs and all their other great products. Okay, Dusty, we uh, wrapped up quarter number one after talking about uh, Taylor Stubblefield's sudden and abrupt uh, dismissal with the fact that Dante Cephas from Kent State just committed through the portal. He's coming to Penn State, but he's not coming here right away, is he? Yeah, it, it would appear that he is finishing up uh, and is going to do it as a grad transfer. So with that in mind, I mean, he didn't need to announce anything yet. Uh, he, he's, he's not arriving at Penn State tomorrow or anything. He's going to finish out uh, what he started there, and he's going he's gonna to arrive um, as a grad transfer, so which, makes, which makes the timing of all of that maybe just a hint more curious. But either way, you know, Penn State's wide receiver depth chart, a lot, lot of questions about, 
who the number one would be, who the num- number one could be, uh, who's got potential to be that guy. And, you know, now it looks like kind of like how Mitchell Tinsley came in with Parker Washington and you had kind of co-number ones. At the very least, Dante Cephas comes in as a co-number one, maybe with Keandre Lambert-Smith if he carries over the momentum from the bowl game. Uh, but we'll see. I, I don't, I'm not even sure that they're done at wide receiver in the transfer portal. I think they probably wouldn't mind another veteran. Oh, I, I'm positive they're not done at wide receiver, that they're going to bring in a second one. I believe they've even talked about it. In fact, I think um, wide receiver coach Taylor Stubblefield – oh, wait, never mind. Um, <laughs> before he was dismissed, I think he actually said the words, yes, we're getting we're getting two new wide receivers. Just a couple quick questions with Dante Cephas committing to Penn State. I'm a bit curious about where things stand with he's committed to Penn State, but he's going to Kent State. What are they allowed to do and what are they not? Can they send him a playbook? Uh, can he do the his course, his last courses, his last semester at Kent State? Could he do them remotely? Could he do them while sitting in state college? I would think if there's any reasonable way to do that, uh, if you're able to get um, professors and stuff on board, that he he would do that. But it it is an interesting position because I do think if you're finishing out the semester uh, at Kent State and you're still on scholarship with the football program in order to finish out that semester for free – then I would think NCAA rules probably apply here, or maybe there's a little bit of a grace period. If you're in the transfer portal, you're allowed to communicate with guys. So I guess technically you would still remain in the transfer portal and could still communicate with other coaches and programs, which means, yeah, he's committed, but now you got to wait out that entire process now too, where I'm not sure other programs are exactly going to sit back and say, Oh, he's committed more. Forget about Dante Cephas. Uh, he seems like he's pretty solid. The reasoning seems pretty solid. He's a Pennsylvania native from, from Penn Hills, but it, it is a little nerve wracking. I suppose that you got to wait out this, this period where he's finishing up his studies. And where it does hurt though, having the wait is remember you now have a new quarterback a year ago. You know, when you had a veteran coming in, I, I think it would be easier for a Sean Clifford to adjust and adapt to a new new receiver where a young run a young quarterback like drew aller th- there's more to it than that so it, it's going to be fascinating to watch um how that connection is made meanwhile a lot of other news going on and uh dustin there are several players that are kind of in that position where you know they're not going to leave because they're going to start playing on Sundays or they think they're going to be highly drafted, but they may also have the extra year because of the COVID thing. So they've already been around four or five years and they have decisions to make. And we saw decisions from a few players. Let's start with Keaton Ellis coming back as a fan. I say, Hey, that's great. I think there's a lot there with Keaton Ellis. He's part of the rotation. He's a regular. To me, that's a starter choosing to come back. That's really good news. Yeah, and and whether you think Keaton Ellis is the best starter on the team or whatever, he still is a starting caliber safety. And he still is a veteran, athletic, 
talented piece at a, at a position group that's going to play probably four plus guys. So anytime you can get a player like that back, it, 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 it just because you have other options there doesn't mean that Keaton Ellis um, can't be a really good safety. I think there's still more that he can accomplish. Um, I, I, I would say, you know, he can be more productive. Uh, you saw him, I think, thrive, especially in the past game as a safety, which makes sense coming from where he came from as a cornerback who was also a wide receiver in high school. Um, I think another year, like he's one of those guys that, yeah, technically he turned away the NFL to come back, but I'm not really sure how much the NFL was going to be pursuing him aggressively. I think a year of production could be a really good thing for him because athletically, I think he's a guy who's still going to test really, really well when that time comes. But if you get some really good film out there too, um, you know, year two as a starter at safety, it can help him out a lot. And like I said, I do think he's a guy um, you should be excited because what we've seen from him so far, there's still more to come. I feel like, and uh, uh, I think year two as, as a starter at safety could be a really good one for Keaton Ellis. And also remember, when Keaton Ellis came in as a true freshman and got on the field, we were all excited about that. You don't, typically it's a really good player if you're a freshman getting on the field the way he did. So there's still, there is still some promise there. And I always add with these guys, perhaps it's a tiebreaker for some of them. The fact is there's a lot expected of this team for next year which is going to highlight everybody on this team if they do perform up to the standard that we all expect. And in that wave, a guy like Keaton Ellis can start to stand out and it will make a difference. Now, two other players who got playing time, which by the way, almost any, everybody on defense got playing time and seemed yeah. to be in the rotation this past year. But two players, we didn't see announcements, but they're just no longer on the um, on the roster are Charlie Ketcher and Marquise Wilson. Again, they're players that you could say can be contributors, especially Marquise Wilson, who was thought of at one point as such a good athlete. He could be a two-way player. You could see him as a wide receiver and a defensive back. Surprised at all that they're not there on the roster, Dusty? Well... Charlie Catcher seems like one of those guys. Um, what's the gain really by playing a sixth year, by playing that COVID year? Um, you know, he's he's not going to be a spotlight guy. He's not going to be somebody who's who's a starting piece. He'd be he'd be in the same position next year as he was this past year. And I I fully get it if a guy like that saying it's time to move on. I don't want to be a college student for a sixth year. It's time to move on with life. Uh, Marquise Wilson, I believe he was recognized on senior day, which was a pretty good indication. I feel like that, that he was where, where he was leaning. And, you know, I, I think he would have, you know, his role never grew. Uh, and, and that's what I keep coming back to is that, and it wasn't going to grow again. I don't feel like he was going to be a rotation piece at cornerback. Uh, they, they tried to, um, get him more in the mix by opening him up to, to play on offense. But I do feel like that was more a response to um, where he was in the cornerback packing order. So it, I think especially with Marquise Wilson, it stings a little bit because anytime you can have a, a pretty good quality veteran as part of that rotation, you want that. Uh, they bring in Storm Duck from North Carolina. So there's another good experienced body there. Um, it just seemed like the writing was, was on the wall for Marquise Wilson. And um, I think he, 
you know, he did well enough, but he, he was just never going to be the guy at cornerback. And I think you have to look at this in an interesting way. You mentioned Storm Duck. Was this a situation where Marky Wilson sees Storm Duck come in and he says, you know what, it doesn't help me in the pecking order? Or is it the other way around where Penn State and the coaching staff knew Marquise Wilson was on his way out, so that's what prompts them to bring in a Storm Duck? So what came first, Dusty, the chicken or the egg in that situation? Well, whichever the second one was, I'm not sure if Mar- if Marquise Wilson was the chicken or the egg, but um, <laughs> I do feel like there was probably good indication, uh, maybe even before the season ended, that Marquise Wilson wasn't going to be part of the mix. Um, and I, I, I think whether he was or wasn't, there was probably a pretty good chance that they go after a guy like Storm Duck anyway, but it doesn't hurt to say, hey, you know, we're losing one veteran, you're coming in. Uh, Marquise Wilson got a pretty good chunk of playing time last year. That will be the floor for you. I think you can, I think you can do more than that. I think we'd rely on you. Look at what Johnny Dixon did uh, for a year before he became a starter. I think the sales pitch was pretty good uh, to Storm Duck with or without Marquise Wilson, but it probably helps. You know, if you lose another veteran like that along the way for, for his playing time chances. Well, it, it's a reminder to me of, of two things, Dusty, and talking about Catcher and Wilson. The coaches probably do know more about this stuff than we do, which is amazing, I know. Concession on my part. I still don't believe it. Well, I, I know it's at least a debatable point <laughs> that we hear on the radio and on our podcast from afar we we are football experts after all we we are um but self proclaimed hey somebody has to say it right <laughs> and i know nobody else is going to dusty so we have to yeah the the other point i just want want to make and have you comment on is these guys they're not just uh pieces on a chessboard that we move around and say hey this guy's useful that guy isn't these are human beings who maybe just at a point, you know what, playing college football is a tough, tough business. And maybe after four or five years, they are done and ready to move on. Oh, I get it. You know, and that's as, as much as you want to call them like whiny babies for wanting, wanting their, not you and in, in specifically, but as much as people do for wanting money and all that stuff, like go, being a full-time student and a full-time athlete is hard. And I don't blame guys for wanting to, to turn the page whenever that opportunity comes. And certainly the COVID year, it's not for middle-end guys on the roster. It's for, it's for high-end guys. Why, why come back for a six-year and expose yourself to that punishment? I get it completely. Uh, so do I. All right, Dustin, we still have more news going on. We'll pick that up in quarter number three. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. 
For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. He's Dustin, I'm Jim, and we're talking about all the Penn State news of this past week. So much going on, Dusty. Quarter number one, we covered Taylor Stubblefield, wide receiver coach, ex-wide receiver coach at Penn State now. Dante Cephas, the wide receiver from Kent State, who we've been literally talking about for weeks and weeks, finally makes the commitment to Penn State, even though it's going to be a while till he gets to State College. He's going to uh, spend another semester at Kent State. But we have some more personnel news. We covered Charlie Ketcher and Marquise Wilson, Both of them no longer on the roster. But we had a return to the roster, which is Devon Townley. And uh, interesting, he's a bit different than those other guys that we talked about with uh, Ketcher and Wilson, who were those veteran guys who probably plateaued. This is where they're at. Now you have another level of player, which are these guys who are still pretty young, but you wonder if they were passed by by younger players. And Townley kind of fit into that mold. And he announced for the transfer portal. And something we seldom see is it appears he's now back on the roster. Yeah, and, and it, it's rare. I, I don't know how often it happens across all of college football, but I can think of only Lamont Wade. Uh, who did this previously, who who went and explored his options uh, at Penn State uh, and ended up coming back. And I don't know whether that's, um, you know, whether that's I didn't get the interest that I wanted or whether that was, hey, I'm just ex- I'm exploring this. If there's an opportunity out there where I can I can maybe find a fit, whether it's football wise or so, whatever, the whatever your, cri- your criteria are um, to you know, to go out there and, and look around. And I think on Penn state's part, it helps that you don't take it personally. When a guy does that, if, if, if James, if you have a meeting with James Franklin and you tell him that you're, you're entering the transfer portal and he, and he, and you say, Hey, I, I get it. You know, we want you here. Uh, but I know you got to do what you got to do for you, for your family, whatever. Uh, it, it helps to be able to pull a guy back. And so that's no small feat, I think, for from a program standpoint, is be able to have a pretty talented guy like Devon Townley, who I assume drew some interest elsewhere. You know, defensive ends like him do not grow on trees. So I'm sure he got some interest, but ultimately decided he wanted to come back to Penn State. Uh, there's a pretty good sales pitch to be made there when it comes to saying, hey, look what Carl Nassib did in one year. Hey, look what Nick Tarburton did uh, in, in two years as part of the rotation. It can be done and it will be done uh, if you hang in there and stick it out. Uh, just because Deny Dennis Sutton came in there and, and overtook you, just because we got went out and got Chop Robinson, you know, you are going to be a part of this come in, in the future. And there's still a lot of time. Uh, for you to do that. I think whatever they were selling to him, he, he bought into it. Uh, and it speaks to me just about, um, you know, not taking these moves personally, you know, more and more the transfer portal is going to be involved in college football. So you have to express some understanding what a player is going through and what he's looking for. And also just, um, 
you know, just uh, just continuing to have to recruit guys. Uh, you got to recruit your own roster. You got to keep recruiting guys that who who might have left your roster for the transfer portal. Uh, just the the portal and the nonstop activity there. Uh, it's just a whole another thing for for coaches. But all's well that ends well with Devon Townley. Well, the other point to this, uh, Dusty, I'm seeing talk in some places where Townley's now listed as a defensive tackle. I'm going to project a lot here. Is it possible at first Townley said, you know what? I don't want to be a tackle. I want to be a defensive end. Let me hit the portal and go somewhere else. And eventually he kind of warmed up to the idea. And perhaps Penn State said, you know what? Uh, The grass isn't greener for us either going out and looking for a defensive tackle. Maybe Townley makes sense. Maybe it was Townley who wanted to play tackle and Penn State wasn't sure of it. But I, I think you brought up a good point. Kudos to both sides for being able to work it out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, by the way, I think this is probably a show, this is up there when it comes to most conjecture. We're, we're doing a lot of projection about what's happening in these conversations behind the scenes. Uh, but I think we've done a nice job of saying we don't know this for sure. But, you know, there are clues out there. And, you know, what's interesting on, you know, Penn State flipped its roster. As you mentioned, you know, Charlie Catcher and Marquise Wilson not on it. It's now listed as a 2023 roster with 2023 um, eligibilities on it. Devon Townley is the only player on the roster who does not have a height and weight uh, on there. Yes. So it probably lends itself to, you know, maybe some of that thinking about he, he could be moving to defensive tackle. And that's a, you know, it's, it's obviously something that Penn State has done really, really well at the next level. So that scenario that you just painted right there seems awfully realistic to me that maybe there was some resistance there. Uh, maybe he didn't really subscribe to that development plan right away. Uh, but but got on board with it at some point in time. Uh, but I, I'll be real curious to see when his um, height and weight are updated. He's still listed as a, as a defensive end, uh, but we've seen this before as guys are going through that transition uh, that that um, you don't know for a fact until until the, that change is officially made. And let's see how his weight changes um, as the thing goes on. And by the way, I just wanted to mention as far as conjecture, even though we're saying we really don't know what we're talking about, if we just went with, gee, I have no idea what's going on, Dusty, it'd be a really, really short show. So That show would uh, suck, conjecture, <laughs> conjecture is what we do. Let's do some conjecture about Jamari Budin. My conjecture there is, Dusty, They've been bringing in a lot of good linebackers recently, and this is the case where still a fairly young player in Boone is just being passed by by other people, sees the handwriting on the wall. Boy, there may be an opportunity, a better opportunity elsewhere. Yeah, I I think with the guys that they've got and the guys that are coming in and the fact that a true freshman uh, in Abdul Carter leapfrogged him, another true freshman – uh, and Keon Wiley, they seem to really like a lot. It really does seem like um, this isn't premature uh, for for Jamari. You know, this this is this is something that 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 seems real. That um, he, he really wasn't going to ascend much further than than where he was. And I think he can be a good player, but I, I didn't see a lot of special qualities when he was out there um, on the field. Uh, you see some special quality in a, in a lot of these other guys that. Uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a pretty big risk there that um, that he's 
uh, not going to see his role grow. And I, and I do, you know, I made a note of like, I don't know how it compared, how it shook out snap count wise, but I would venture to say that Dominic DeLuca, who just got put on scholarship after his redshirt freshman season as a walk-on, uh, played more uh, in 2022 than Budin did. So, uh, you know, even that, even he w- was passing Jamari Budin by, it, it would seem. And then you bring in uh, Tamir Robinson, Tony Rojas, is already in the, in the linebacker class in 2023. Boy, this this was not a favorable situation for him, and and I and I I get it. You know, I think he can land someplace. You know, maybe a pretty uh, a mid level, maybe a group of five type school. I still think he can play, but uh, it wasn't happening. It would it would appear at Penn State, and this linebacker group still in really good hands. And Dustin Hawkinsmith, president of the Dominic DeLuca fan club, I love even he passed. Even he passed a real nice compliment there, Dusty. Uh, <laughs> let, let, let's let's move on. I think it's worth noting also that Jake Pinniger is moving on. I I think they kind of knew that was coming, and the fact I believe that he took over the kickoff duties this past year also, just showing that he's capable of also doing that. He he had nothing more to prove, uh, so. We'll move on from the kicker worth mentioning, but I did want to talk to you about one other topic, which is just fascinating to me. Uh, James Franklin and Pat Narduzzi, the coach at Pitt, they they still just like to take shots at each other. And news came out that Penn State final poll solidly ranked number seven by just about everybody. There's only one coach in the coaches poll who had Penn State listed as low as ninth, and guess which coach that was? The the dues. Um, it's I you know it's it's pe- it's petty. It's petty. I, I like that. That's what I think. Uh, it, but it's it's absolutely hilarious to me. These guys probably aren't going to run into each other on a football field uh, anytime while they're still at Pitt and Penn State, respectively. But you know, Pat Narduzzi clearly does not have a, a real high. Uh, um, a real, you know, a real high opinion of James Franklin and a real high opinion of Penn state. And he's not afraid to show it, you know, and, and God bless him for that. Whether he's right or wrong, he's going to screen something like the caveman that he is. And I respect that about Pat Narduzzi. Uh, He doesn't care about outside opinion. He doesn't care about that stuff. And on the other side, uh, Franklin had Pitt unranked behind UCLA who lost to Pitt in, in the bowl game, which I think is probably you know indication of hey the feelings mutual, Pat. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't put two more opposite personalities in the world of college football coaching than these two guys, and that you know they had to go head to head. They had to be you know go head to head in recruiting. Uh, I think it's just hilarious more than anything. Dusty, I love it. I I don't think there's enough of this kind of pettiness in college football, and this is what makes it fun. And I know whenever the argument comes up with should Penn State be playing Pitt, I think this pettiness factor is underappreciated. This is part of what makes it fun. You know, all the those discussions about rivalries and and it's like requirement that the play by play talks about these two teams don't like each other. You know, that, that's just talk. It's not here. Those two guys don't like each other. That's what makes it fun. But one of the other interesting things I just wanted to mention, Dusty, because we're talking about the coaches poll and how they uh, do things. 
Do you know that Nick Saban had Alabama ranked second on his ballot? You know, I, I think all this ridiculousness and in all seriousness, I think they have enough coaches. And I, I think you bring that many coaches on board to vote for this thing to help bring everything back to the mean. You know what I mean? It, it helps weed out pettiness, uh, you know, unrealistic thoughts by, by Nick Saban. You cannot say that you had the second best season in the country. And, and you had this conversation again and again and again. Well, you put Alabama on the field against Georgia. They didn't deserve to be there. Maybe they are the second best team in America. They didn't deserve a chance to show it because they didn't have the resume to do it. But I think you have enough coaches who, who vote that you can start to weed out and, and render some of these ridiculous things uh, irrelevant. Let's call it like the Olympics. Let's throw out the Russians vote, right? <laughs> Where he put the gymnast. Nixon anyway, the Russian. Exactly. Guess who's in the house? Mr. Jeff Byers is here, which means he's ready to talk wrestling, which means I'm out the door, Dusty. You take over. Have a great fourth quarter with Jeff. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back. It's quarter number four of the Keystone Kickoff Show. And as promised, we have delivered Jim Galanti no longer with us. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Jeff Byers is here to talk some Penn State wrestling a uh, big week coming up, and I think a big stretch of matches in general for Penn State wrestling, uh, Jeff, at home at the Bryce Jordan Center against number four, Michigan, uh, number four in the intermat rankings for dual teams, I think number eight in, tor- in terms of tournament teams. And it's funny, you know, you look at this and you look at the individual matchups and it's like, all right, what other sport can you say? Number one against number four. And, and you'd be like, I'm surprised if Penn State doesn't win this thing. Yeah, it, it's uh, and it's one of those things, Dusty. Sometimes it's just the the matchups, uh, right? And uh, you know, some teams just match up better uh, than others. I, I think everybody <laughs> this season's having a tough time matching up with Penn State, but uh, you know, Michigan in particular. That I, I mean, I almost <laughs> uh, feel bad. I'm I'm hoping that Alex Facundo is able to go here Friday night. Uh, he's come along. I'm just not sure whether or not they're going to, uh, you know, pull him out just yet or try to give him another week to make sure everything's, uh, good to go. But I, I'm hoping he gets the chance to wrestle, uh, Amin there at 165. Cause I, I just think again, win or lose, that's the type of bout that really benefits you. 
uh, when the postseason rolls around. Uh, and Amin, you know, this weekend beat Hamity, who I think uh, is really coming on and is really impressive and would have been a nice match for Facundo to also get uh, under his belt. So uh, I'm – but, you know, other – even if Facundo goes, you know, that's about – obviously I can go Michigan's way 125, of course, uh, expected to go pretty significantly Michigan's way. But honestly, you look at the rest of the, the lineup – uh, you know, if Levi Haynes goes, and I'm I'm kind of assuming like everybody else that he will, uh, that against Will Lewin, that that'll be probably the next kind of featured bout uh, in this matchup. I mean, Michigan's got a really nice team, but their best wrestler is Mason Paris, who hasn't been able to beat Greg Kirkleet, and not that he he's not capable of it, but I mean, you're expecting Kirkleet. Uh, certainly if you're on the Penn State side of things, expecting him to win that. And you just start uh, going down again. 157 and 165 are probably the two bouts that, uh, you know, on paper I think could kind of go either way. Other than that, from Penn State's perspective, I think, you know, Penn State's expecting to to win the other uh, bouts other than 125. Uh, I want to get back to some of the matchups, but I did want to get your take just on Bryce Jordan Center wrestling. And when you go from, uh, you know, the intimate atmosphere at Rec Hall, which is, you know, highly, highly regarded nationally, and you go to Bryce Jordan Center, you know, almost for accessibility, right? I mean, I think it's just hard to get into a Penn State match, but if you expand it uh, to Bryce Jordan Center, as they're doing this Friday for Michigan, and then the following Friday as well for Iowa, What's your take just, you know, from from your point of view on on, you know, the the, the two venues and, and, the, and now doing two of them at Bryce Jordan Center getting out of Rec Hall? Yeah, I, I personally, I, I love having the, the one match a year at, at the Jordan Center um, because I do think it makes it something uh, unique and special. And I do think they've uh, kind of perfected making that a show. I think the average sports fan who doesn't follow college wrestling, but Hey, yeah, I want to see a Penn state Michigan sporting event, no matter what, where I know Iowa, you know, is the, was the powerhouse before Penn state. So I want to see that match up and, and check this out. I, I think the casual fan and the hardcore wrestling fan uh, is impressed and enjoys the theatrics of the, the Jordan center and, you know, having the raised platform. And I do think there's some benefit there, as well for the kids to have uh, throughout the course of the season, both the opportunity to wrestle at Rec Hall, which is just such a neat, close venue. Uh, But the Jordan Center, I mean, when it's packed, it is a really neat atmosphere there. Uh, And with the race platform, I think at least gives you some sense of what, you know, the NCAA tournament uh, can be like uh, for the finals on, on Saturday night. And so I, you know, I would not personally want all of the matches at the Jordan Center, uh, but I do like getting over there once or, you know, twice a, a year. I, I like the idea of keeping it at, at one, but I certainly understand from a revenue standpoint. And listen, what one of the, you know, let's uh, be honest here about one of the goals of Kale Sanderson uh, is to make wrestling a revenue sport uh, at Penn State. And I they are getting close and they are trying to really be creative. And I think it's part of why they're having that second Jordan center uh, match is uh, they're, they're trying to kind of close the gap and, and get to the point where they can uh, truly be in the black 
when it comes to the the revenue side of things in uh, wrestling. And that's obviously not an easy thing to do for any sport uh, outside of football and basketball with the TV contracts uh, involved with those sports. But, um, you know, it's one of the goals that Kale has for this program. It's it's an interesting goal. And I I think, um, you know, obviously as as a coach – you know, who's in control of a budget, you want to be more of an asset than a liability as a line item on the university's budget at large. Uh, so there's that, but there's also, I, I feel like, um, you know, Kale really thinks about the sport in general too, not just the sport at Penn state, but in, in terms of growing it and, you know, where wrestling sits just in general, uh, at every university is seen as a, a liability and not necessarily an asset and could be at the whim as we've seen programs cut all over the place. It could be at the whim of whoever the athletic director is and whether he or she gets wrestling or he or she uh, respects wrestling. And, and the fact that they, you know, they've got a job to do in balancing their budget too. Uh, I feel like Kale probably thinks about the, the sport as a whole when, when he thinks in terms of a goal like that. Yeah, no, there's no question that that the hope is that, you know, we can set an example here for how this can be done. Uh, And not that you're looking to make every wrestling program. I mean, you'd love it, but realistically, not every wrestling program is going to be able to be a revenue producer. Very few, if if any, ultimately will. But I think, you know, showing that, uh, you know, by being creative and trying to come up with some different uh, concepts, that you can at least get closer and and make it less of a uh, revenue uh, loss on the uh, athletic department, I I do think is significant. Uh, And I I think when you're looking at the long-term survival and the ever-changing world of college athletics, uh, that is part of it. That being said, again, the Jordan Center to me is a really neat uh, opportunity for these kids. And and I do love the the atmosphere and, and all of the... Uh, theatrics and the you know smoke and the lights and the fireworks uh, that uh, that they have as the, the kids come out of the tunnel. It just it feels like you're at uh, a big time special sporting event, um, and I think it adds a, a little extra, not just for the Penn State kids, but I think the Michigan kids uh, get a kick out of it. And you know, I was obviously used to being on on that type of a stage, but it's it's still neat to be part of an event like that. I think for all of those kids. Uh, looking at this, uh, this matchup with Michigan, I, I know you mentioned a couple of these, but the, the thing that really jumps out, uh, and whether Alex Facundo goes at 165 or not, is that, you know, 149, 157, 165, these freshmen, um, all have opportunities, you know, and I think you're, you're waiting and looking for a springboard type match. And I know, um, you know, Shane Van Ness will be, will be favored in that matchup against Chance Lamer, but against another freshman, uh, but Levi Haynes, uh, in particular, you know, you're you're looking to see. Okay, he's he's ranked now. Uh, he took he took a ranked guy to task at at uh, Wisconsin. Uh, you're looking for any opportunity for these guys to to thrust themselves into that you know top eight All America um, placing at NCAA's conversation. And these are matches that they that that can show America that these guys are there. Yeah, and the nice situation, I. Completely, and and I think that's exactly what the the coaches are, are looking for and wanting to see. And Kale kind of mentioned it uh, in um, one of the post match. I think it may, maybe it was after Wisconsin, uh, but one of the the more recent uh, post match interviews that um, 
you know, it, it is good and it is impressive that these guys are close against some of the, the top competition that they've faced, but <laughs> that's not the goal at the end of the year. Right? The, and there is a difference, and it's a significant difference between, you know, losing by a point or two and actually getting over the hurdle and beating uh, national title contenders. And, you know, I don't know that Will Lewin is a national title contender at 157, but one of the nice situations there, uh, but he's a really good wrestler and he's certainly an all a strong All-American contender. And I think one of the nice situations with the way the rules are this year, you know, Levi Haynes theoretically could still wrestle that bout and retain his red shirt if he doesn't wrestle again this season. And I think for Penn State, and for the coaches, and and listen, I'm expecting Levi Haynes to go out and, and win that bout. Uh, I think it'll be a good bout, but I, I think Levi Haynes will win it. But if Levi goes out there and it's like, oh my gosh, Will Lewin, whoop, wait, we, we're not, Levi's not where we thought he, he was. Uh, you know, you do have that ability to, oh, let's pivot. <laughs> Barraclaw's fine. We, we can uh, go with that moving forward. So, you know, I think this is a real good measuring stick type of match. And again, I, I, think Levi Haynes uh, with where he's at right now is is a top four or five kid. And I think Will Lewin is just in that uh, notch below that. But we're going to find that out uh, on Friday night. And again, I think it's a neat opportunity. Amin is a guy that I, I mean, I think to me, he and Facundo, it's a coin flip. And I, I, I would love uh, and I'm hoping we get a chance to see that match uh, in the dual meet because, uh, again, I think it it would be a really good opportunity for Alex Facundo to just kind of show where he's at. I just think that they're trying to be a little cautious right now uh, as coaches. And, you know, obviously the ultimate goal here is to be uh, ready to go in, in March and you don't want to put somebody out there a little too soon and then re-aggravate something that becomes then a lingering problem throughout the, the year. So uh, we'll see. I, I'm hoping Facundo can go. I think there's a chance he'll go Friday night. Um, and I, and if he does, I think that's going to be a really, really fun bout to watch. And yeah, 149, I, I, again, Van Ness in my mind is, is a solid favorite there, but it's another good opportunity to just kind of show where he's at against a, another really good ranked opponent. And, and I, and I think the, the opportunity there looks and feels more like, you know, you major him maybe, or, or it's, it's, it's thoroughly dominant from start to finish. Then you start to learn a little bit more about what tier he's, he's in too. So that's big opportunity there. And, and I think just in terms of Penn state's lineup, so interesting that you've got all these proven national champs and you've got these really talented young kids looking to kind of make that climb. And probably the next core is before our very eyes. And we're going to see them with good opportunities against Michigan. That's Jeff Byers, the voice of Penn state wrestling, joining us here on the Keystone kickoff show. That's it for the show. Thanks to Jeff. Thanks to Jim for being silent this whole time, like a good boy. And we'll see you next time on the Keystone kickoff show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. 
You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.